Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. In 2020, you would recall Minister of Home Affairs Aaron Mutsualedi telling Parliament that they were dealing with 800,000 blocked ID cases involving alleged duplicates and claims of fraudulent IDs. Um, and, and in relation to that, they're facing a campaign as well as court action from Lawyers for Human Rights to unblock the IDs. Uh, we're going to be getting to the details of that. Tandega Chauke, who's the uh, project manager for statelessness at Lawyers for Human Rights, joins us. Tandega, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Welcome to Night Talk. Tandega? Hello. There we go. Oh, hi, Oliver. Hi, Tandega. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, apologies for that uh, technological gremlin there, uh, but good to have you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start here, Tandega. Uh, you guys describe this as the arbitrary blocking of IDs. What is actually happening? Why does Home Affairs block these ideas, according to your understanding? What information have they given you pertaining to that? Um, and we, we, after that, we'll get to the regulatory powers that they have. Mm. So this is an issue we, we actually picked up 10 years ago, back in 2012, when the department had announced this campaign where they were um, trying to make the national population register accurate and to delete or rectify an issue they'd picked up with ID numbers that had been duplicated such that one person would be sharing an ID with someone or one person would have multiple IDs. And the idea there was that they would uh, flag this issue on the ID in the National Population Register um, to get people to approach them in order to verify the ID and then delete whichever one is incorrect or, you know, fix the error yeah but what then subsequently happened is that these cases continued to escalate um such that by 2020 as you mentioned there were close to a million blocked ids and now by 2023 lhr sits with almost 134 well it is 134 clients with blocked ids and we have noticed um, a few issues with the way in which Home Affairs has been dealing with this procedurally. And this is why we had launched it on the basis of arbitrariness. To say that when these people discover the ID is blocked, it's not through some formal notification process. It's actually when you're trying to do something with your ID, something very basic like, act, like accessing your bank account or withdrawing your SASA grant or renewing your passport applying for the smart card ID. And when you do find out, you're not even given proper reasons as to why this is happening. So you, you also don't understand why it's happening and therefore don't know how to rectify the issue. So people are just given various pieces of information to say, no, go and bring us your birth records, go and bring us your grandparents' documents, yeah. go and do DNA tests. And that goes on for years, but without any sort of resolution. Yeah. If you are listening to the show right now and you are a victim of this sort of ID blocking um, and, and Home Affairs has been giving you the runaround for years, give us a call. Share your experience. Let's see if we can make sense of it uh, from an experiential point of view. 86 You can also send me a WhatsApp voice on 614 What would be the ideal uh, there has to be a recognition, at least, that there was a lot of errors uh, with the National Registry, uh, the National Population Registry. In fact, it had very little integrity. It was important to fix that. Um, but it doesn't seem like they had procedurally thought this through very deeply 10, 15 years ago. Um, and given that, 
there clearly has been a lot of victims or at least a lot of collateral damage uh, to the mm. attempt to clean up the, the National Registry. What would have been the ideal process? I think because it's a legacy issue, I mean, it's issues to to deal with um, consolidating even pre-94 records to come up with a, a comprehensive and accurate national population register by the time people voted in 94. Home Affairs has even conceded to the fact that, you know what, when we did create that first um, voters' role or created that first national population register, a lot of people were given IDs without really a vetting process. But that is, you know, on the Department of Home Affairs. You can't now shift that blame to people who now um, have been holding and using these IDs for decades on. The other issue is that when the block happens, it's not just cases to do with fraud. It's also cases that are due to human error. So like an official of Home Affairs has actually made an error in registering that person such that they have, um, for example, the first case I dealt with was to do with twins who had similar names. So let's say it's Tandi and Tandiwe with the same birth date. And then they just duplicated their information and blocked one twin's ID. So there are also those cases that are based on clerical error. But when they place the marker or the block, it has the same effect. It's not distinguishing between those who are indeed perpetrators of fraud and those who are innocent and those whose cases have to do with an administrative error. So what is ideal? is that there should have always been a process in place that is aligned with Haja, the promotion of administrative justice. And yeah. it tells us what to do when you, when you um, are taking administrative action. You give a person notice, you give a person written reasons for the action you're about to take against them, you give them an opportunity to defend themselves, to come to you and say, no, listen, the reason you're picking up something on my ID is because right. of X, Y, Z. You know, and then even if you make a decision, you make it in a timely fashion. Don't let people wait for years and months on end without any sort of decision because you're leaving them in limbo. And then there should also be an appeal or review process. But you know what the interesting hurdle is now, Oliver, is because now we cannot even find any legal basis for ID blocking. There's no law that allows the Department of Home Affairs to act in this fashion. And the department has also conceded to that fact. They've conceded to the fact that this is, in fact, unconstitutional conduct and that there is no law that allows them to do so. Yeah. But saying that the court should allow them to continue blocking IDs because it's so important for us to deal with issues of fraud. And we're saying there are other alternative ways in which the legislation tells you to deal with fraud but the, the, the department is taking a shortcut by simply using this, this automated blocking system. Yeah. So to be clear, there are no statutory powers that uh, enables and empowers the minister or the director general from blocking anyone's citizenship. In fact, taking away their citizenship by blocking their ID, by rendering them citizenless. There is no statutory power. They have uh, filed before the court minutes of a meeting they had in November 2022, where the conclusion is, in fact, that the Identification Act does not provide a legal basis for blocking IDs, and yet they continue to do so. What the Identification Act says when it comes to cases of suspected fraud is that they should be dealt with through the criminal law process. And, you know, under the criminal law process, the accused people have rights to be informed of the charge against you to be able to defend yourself once again, and to even have legal representation. Right. So even that is more um, constitutionally aligned than just unilaterally blocking an ID on the basis of a suspicion. 
not even having conducted investigation. They block at the first instance and then they investigate for however long they want to. And, you know, some of our clients have even died before their ID issues are resolved. Mm-hmm. I, I would then imagine procedurally it, it, it would have to be a court that issues a sanction should there have been an instance as per the suspicion of home affairs, uh, fraud pertaining to citizenship or identity fraud or any other related transgression. Yeah, and th- those are provisions that exist in the law. They can get court orders to seize or cancel a document, but that's not what they're doing. And I think that is the contentious thing here. And that is what is um, now um, resulting in this sort of tragic circumstance where families and even children are impacted by these decisions. So what is the recourse there? Because they're clearly acting ultra virus. Can you get a court order to, to, to reverse any sort of decision? Because this seems to be a Paja-related decision. Take it under review and have each and every mm. case reversed. Or is that too cumbersome? Do you have to take it in a class action fashion? So we have uh, we we have just argued the, the the case today, and the relief we're seeking is firstly a declaration that this conduct, since there is no law, we cannot challenge a law. So we're challenging the conduct of ID blocking, is unconstitutional and invalid. And the Department of Home Affairs has also conceded to that fact. In relation to that, or following that declaration, is that they need to then unblock all the IDs that they have blocked in this fashion, including the ones that LHR has put forward. And then we've also included a sort of supervisory um, order where this can fall under the oversight of the court to allow the department to also come back and report to the court how they, they are going to move forward in terms of addressing the unconstitutionality and addressing all the other thousands of IDs that perhaps Lawyers for Human Rights is not aware of. And that is what we have proposed to the court and also just highlighted the fact that if the purpose of ID blocking is to curb fraud, there are already provisions in legislation to deal with fraud. And if they want to deal with fraud, then they they need to follow those processes, not to take a shortcut through ID blocking. Um, other alternatives, for example, are that maybe they, they need to divorce the marking process from the blocking process. So it might be possible to just flag the ID to say there's something on, you know, happening with this ID and give that person notification to visit home affairs. But do not block it until you finalized investigations, because that's how we find a lot of people falling um, into this trap where they are wrongfully deprived of their citizenship for years Not that you have a burden to provide this sort of information to the court, uh, but it might be useful for consideration's sake. Just how prevalent and widespread is ID-related fraud? Uh, Yeah, so I mean, uh, that would be within within the the knowledge of the Department of Home Affairs, really. Um, In a lot of the cases that we have handled where they have blocked it and they've indicated that the block is that they they suspect the person is an illegal immigrant or they suspect the person has been traced as a foreign national. In all the cases we have rectified, it's actually being wrongful. It's a South African citizen who has an entitlement to that document and was given you all the evidence to prove that they are South African. So even this ID blocking process itself cannot really tell us anything about, you know, the numbers of fraud unless the department um, from its side can reveal that that information. So by and large, the 800,000 people we're speaking dating back to about 10 years are for the most part overwhelmingly South African born citizens. 
from the cases that lawyers for human rights has dealt with, that is correct. Over the past five years, there have been 500 cases at least. And currently we're sitting with 134 that still remain unresolved. And it, so in that, that um, broad estimate, majority of, of them are indeed South African citizens. Yeah. Given that Home Affairs has conceded that uh, they've been acting without power and unprocedurally, what then did they argue? What what are they going to do? <laughs> yes, I think that's what we were all waiting to hear from the department. It is unfortunate that even in the affidavits, they don't really elaborate any sort of way forward. They simply make the concessions and, you know, reiterate this need to use this tool for ID blocking. If it is so necessary and if they've identified it as something that is missing in the legislation, they are entitled to approach Parliament and propose a statute that says, you know, we want to block IDs for this purpose and this is how it will happen, so that at least there's parliamentary oversight. They cannot now try and make new laws through regulations or SOPs if there's no legal basis or legal foundation. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like uh, if, if, if Parliament gets involved? It means having a provision, a very specific provision in the Identification Act, or if it's going to be a new act, whatever that act looks like, but having a very clear and specific provision on ID blocking and marking, and then having regulations that support that provision and explain how exactly it should work. I think it should also include um, how to distinguish between cases that are due to clerical errors versus cases that are perhaps linked to fraud or misrepresentation versus cases that they want to flag as high risk. And they would have to define what high risk, they would have to define all those categories to ensure that, um, you know, people are not wrongfully then accused of fraud or misrepresentation. Uh, and I think that would all have to flow from the legislation, not from regulations or SOPs. And and if I am a victim of of a, a erroneous blocking of my ID, and it has a material impact in my life, can I seek recourse for that? Can I civilly pursue Home Affairs uh, for that material damage that their uh, erroneous, ultra-virus actions have caused me? That's an interesting question, Oliver. Um, before, when we were dealing with individual cases, you would, of course, have recourse under PAJA, so to do a judicial review for this decision that's been made against you. In under international law and principles that have been developed on similar issues around deprivation of citizenship or seizure of documents, there is the possibility to also claim compensation for wrongful deprivation. So for instance, we do have um, one client whose ID was blocked back in 2018. By 2019, she had provided almost everything. She had gone above and beyond what Home Affairs had asked her for, including DNA evidence of her citizenship. But her ID was only unblocked last year, February 2022. And even when her ID was blocked, her three children's IDs remained blocked until March wow. of this. And this is a South African citizen. So, so she has lost five years, five years of her life to this issue, you know. And I, I think, you know, there, there would be a claim for some sort of compensation because then they just come back and say, listen, your ID has been uplifted. Please go apply for your ID. And that doesn't um, vindicate the pain and suffering that they put people through. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. And, and is she perhaps this particular client you're talking about? Is she perhaps considering 
pursuing home affairs for damages? Um, she was at some instance, but we, we don't have instructions to, to work on that. Okay. Let's have a listen yeah. at this WhatsApp voice note in relation to this. Good evening, SA. I guarantee you the majority of those ID books that are blocked, half of them, they are foreigners. They are not South Africans. But the sad thing is that South Africans are the one who had to suffer the most because they cannot have access in their ID book based on a fraud that is committed by Home Affairs employees because they, they are the one who were doing this uh, duplicate document in an excess of making extra cash for themselves. So really, I promise if it's a million or 100,000, half of that 100,000 is not South Africans. They are foreigners. That level of speculation is to be expected, and I'm assuming Home Affairs may even have advanced an argument at some point in the last 10 years to that effect. Um, how have you dealt with, with, with that sort of speculative response? So, you know, we're not challenging what what the merits of these cases are, you, you know? Like, we can't say half of them are you know, assigned to irregular migrants or have been acquired through fraud. But the point is that the third the third party or the innocent party in the case also gets affected the same way because yeah. the blockage of the marker does not distinguish between this is the innocent party and this is the one who has duplicated. It will simply just block the ID. You understand? Yeah. And because homophobia doesn't follow the actual routes to deal with the fraudulent cases, there's no way we can actually tell that out of this 1 million, indeed, maybe 200,000 were due to fraud. Mm, you understand? Mm. So the system is also not serving whatever purpose they think it should serve. And I think it's demonstrative of the fact that it's taken 10 years. In fact, over the 10 years, it's only gotten worse. You know, not, I, w- not I would better. have assumed the court would have asked them for that sort of data. Have they been able to present any sort of data about a breakdown of the causes of the cases? No, they haven't been able to provide any data because there's no process in place, Oliver. So it, these things happen very arbitrarily from our observations of the cases that come through the Lawyers for Human Rights Clinic. It's for the, the case I was talking about now, her ID had been flagged because she they said she had been traveling frequently to Zimbabwe um, through the Baybridge border. And they said it was linked to some 2010 Baybridge border project where they were monitoring people traveling frequently between South Africa and Zimbabwe, especially over um, holiday periods. And they said that for them was an indication that people are going to their real home. Like, you're going home yeah. if you're going to Zimbabwe <laughs> frequently remember. But do you know why she was going there, Oliver? Because she does have a spouse who is Zimbabwean and she has children whose father is Zimbabwean. So she's taking the children to visit the paternal family. And yeah, that is yeah. the basis on which they marked her Zimbabwean and blocked her ID. Do yeah. you understand? So when we say it's arbitrary and discriminatory, if there's no process, it allows for this kind of excessive who then, discretion. Who then in the review. value chain of immigration services at Home Affairs gets to make that determination and decision? Mm. So that's also something that Home Affairs hasn't really explained fully, how it works in their system. In court today, they have said that um, it might be automatic, so it's automated, the system of blocking IDs, if the system catches it itself, that there are some IDs that have been duplicated, it will automatically flag them. And then they've noted that there are some that are manually marked or blocked. 
Mm. So I think it's it might be both. Um, from the cases that we have observed over the years, it seems as if the blockage the blockages were initiated manually and based on these discriminatory kind of factors. For some clients, it's oh in your inoculation mark. For others, it's oh you know why is your name Anton? There are no black South Africans with the name Anton. This is a Mozambican name, um, and yeah, if if, if I My could explain goodness. all the story you'd begin to understand. But under the campaign we are running, we are sharing some of the, the anecdotes, some of the stories of those 134 clients that we currently represent. In each of those stories, you'll see that there is a legal basis, an establishment of this person's South African citizenship and link to South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Tandeka, thank you so much for your time on this. Really, really do appreciate it and bring it in, uh, bringing it to our attention. We'll speak again. Uh, when uh, a court judgment or response from Home Affairs uh, has been made to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Oliver. Tandega Chauke, the Statelessness Project Manager at Lawyers for Human Rights. I, I'm taking your reactions to that. Do you have any such experience with that at Home Affairs? Give me a call, 086-000-2032. 086-000-2032. I'm taking your voice notes on 614 1-0-7. On the other side of that, we speak politics. Stick around for that. Let's take a quick break.